Thank you. All right, please go with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. And we are on a series on the book of Ephesians, and we have been for a very long time. And so you'll notice in your bulletin, it's kind of broken down into smaller sections. And actually, we're launching into one this morning as we hit chapter 6 called God, Your Family, and Your Workplace. <clears throat> so let's read the text. I'm in chapter 6 of Ephesians. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of frame a little bit of, of the whole issue of family, and then we'll focus in on this issue of honoring your parents. So Ephesians 6, verse 1, reads as follows, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so, Father, we pray your blessing as we dig into your word in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now, everybody in this room, we're all children, right? I know you're, some of you are thinking, oh, good, you're speaking about kids. I'm going to get my kid and bring him up here right now, you know, <laughs> from children's church. Uh, <clears throat> but all of us come from parents, a mother and a father, and we all come from a family. Uh, and when you talk about family, uh, it's, a, it's an intense place, isn't it? It's very earthy. It's... There's good and there's bad and ugly in every family, and it levels all of us when you get into it. It, it humbles us. You know, the word humility comes from the, the Greek word hummus, you know, earthy. It's very gritty when you talk about family. And so Paul, as he's unfolding the book of Ephesians, he, he, towards the end of the book now, he gets into the whole family issue because he knows it's easy to live a divided Christian faith where you have this, you know, you're praising God, or you're a Christian, but it really doesn't integrate into your family. It doesn't integrate into those most intense relationships with your parents, if you're married, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. And so if you remember the whole book of Ephesians, it goes into, you know, all about who we are in Christ, the first few chapters, and then he finally gets to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5, 21. And now he's getting tight into wives and husbands, men, women. We just finished that little series. And now he goes into children and how we relate to parents. And I'll talk about parenting, you know, uh, following that. But, but he understands that you can't have a, an authentic Christianity without one that really transforms the way you relate to your parents. And so today I'm speaking to all of us in this room as adults, children, uh, not simply to kids. So it's there, you know, teenagers and up, all of us. And we had someone who had their 92nd birthday this past Saturday, yesterday, for, at first service, Poppy, God bless them, you know. And, and so some of you are older uh, children. But um, remember, the Ten Commandments was written to adults when it says honor your father and your mother. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to give you a little framework here about what, what is it, when we think about family, what, what does it look like? And as Paul's going to now try to take the gospel and apply it in tightly. So one of the people that uh, has really influenced Jerry and I was, was, a, was a, a great thinker about families. Her name was Virginia Satir. And um, she, uh, she's not alive now, but for 45 years, she worked with tens of thousands of families from all over the world. And uh, she said it's much like a surgeon. We have a couple of doctors here. If you're a surgeon and you operate on people here in, say, you know, St. John's Hospital down the street or Mount Sinai in Manhattan, you open people up, you're going to see the same basic bone structure. Well, if you go also to another part of the world and you operate on people and you open up their body, you're going to find the same basic body parts. Well, she said the same thing is with families. If you look at families of all cultures and nations anywhere in the world and you begin to open up the depth of that family, you begin to see the same common factors, the same dynamics. And she actually came down to four, 
which she said are, are, are essential in healthy or nurturing families and that, that have to be addressed if the family's really going to really be transformed. And so here are her you know, four critical elements of, of all families. And I, I mention these because uh, I mean, Jerry and I, in our experience over the last you know, 10, 15 years and work with many families from many different places as well, uh, we, we agree with her. We actually agree with her analysis, and it's been our experience as well uh, in seeking to bring Christ and bring transformation into families. And so here's her four critical elements. The first is the issue of self-worth. You know, how do, how do uh, people in that family see themselves? Do they see themselves positively or negatively? Do they, they have a, do they have a high view of themselves or low view of themselves based on the kind of, you know, interactions going on? So she says, that's the first issue of every family. What's the self-worth of each person in it? Then she goes, the issue, secondly, is communication. How do people relate? How do they, how do they work out speaking to each other and communicating meaning? Is it direct? Is it indirect? Is it vague? Is it dishonest? You know, how does that happen in this family? And again, critical factor on the health of that uh, unit. Thirdly, what are the rules of this family? Uh, every family has that rule. You know, a rules, the key word in rules is the word should. What are the shoulds? Uh, and, and these develop into a system. Are these, are these family rules rigid? Are they non-negotiable? Do they support people or do they hurt people? Are they flexible over time? And how well do these rules work? And are they willing to change them if they're not working? And then finally, she says, the issue is how does this family relate to those outside the family? And, for example, do they, do they, do they look at the rest of society or as, you know, they blame as the enemy, as evil? How do they look at other cultures? How do they look at other institutions? And uh, how do they look at the government? But how do they see themselves in relation to the larger world? And it was really interesting because she said, and we found it to be true, that it's not simply a, a nuclear family, but even for people who grew up in group homes or institutions, they also had the same four elements in them that really influenced these people's understanding of their self-worth, their communication, their roles, and their link to society. So, and so she concluded by saying, you know, families can be seen on a spectrum. And you can think about your family growing up. Uh, some families on the, uh, you know, are, are very nurturing on the left side, number one. And others, on a scale of one to ten, are, are very troubled. And so let me ask you for a second as you ponder your family. In your family, uh, did you feel like you were living among friends? people that you liked and trusted? Was it fun? Was it enjoyable to be part of that family, to be together? And so here's, like, for example, some of the qualities of a troubled family, uh, she argued. Things like, in a troubled family, it feels cold, frozen. It can be boring. There's an air of secrecy, kind of like the CIA, you know, is... There's not a lot of friendship. It's more like a duty, have-tos. People tolerate each other. Parents will tell their children what to do, but they never really find out who they are. They don't really enjoy their children. Uh, and children never really get to enjoy their parents either in troubled families. They tend to avoid each other uh, and often will get involved in outside stuff, outside activities, and uh, normally have a closed view of the rest of the world. While in nurturing families... Uh, there's an aliveness, there's a genuineness, there's a honesty, a sense of love. There's people listen to each other. <clears throat> they actually show affection and appropriate touch. 
They take risks because it's okay to make mistakes. Uh, each person feels noticed and valued uh, and are clearly asked to notice and value others in the family. There's, there's comfort in touching and affection. People are straight and honest. Uh, they're not spinning. And people are free to tell each other how they feel. And basically anything can be talked about in a nurturing family. So it's interesting to think about yourself, but where would you put your family on that scale? Now, she, she argued again, and I agree that a family is much like an iceberg. And uh, most families are only aware of about one-tenth of what's going on in the family. We, 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 analyze, we analyze our families and say, this is what we do, this is what we say, and that's about what's going on. But most people suspect there's a lot more going on in the family underneath the iceberg, but they have no idea how to get at it or how, to, you know, how do you find out and how do you change it. And uh, you know, remember, all families are imperfect. And in fact, the longer, you, as you get older, you realize how much was often going on in that iceberg of your family as you go into adulthood. And uh, again, even if you're raised in a Christian home, all families are really imperfect. And you find that out. I mean, a couple of my kids are here in the service. I mean, they know. You know my, my, my children will be in therapy for all the rules we had in our stuff. But um, Virginia Satir argued, and I, I don't know if this is true, in her experience at least of 45 years was that only about four in a hundred families she would describe as nurturing. It was that low. And I would say that's about our experience too. Because it takes a lot of intentionality to create a family that's nurturing and a lot of intentionality and work to maintain it. Now here's the great news we're here today because you see what Paul's talking about in Ephesians is that Christianity, the God, Christianity is tremendous. This is the best news on the face of the earth. Christ can do to change your life. But God so loves you, and, and he, he wants to change the way you relate to everybody around you and your family. And the power of the gospel is so powerful that raised Christ from the dead, it's even able to change you and the way you relate to your family. That's how deep it is. It's, a, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It, it's stupendous. And so Paul understood that Christianity was a revolution for family life. And that's why he spoke, spoke to wives and husbands, and then he speaks to men and women and, and fathers and here children. He knew a right relationship with God and a right relationship with your parents go together. You can't separate them. So what's, as we've we gotten this passage here, what's interesting is he addresses wives, he addresses children, he addresses slaves. And normally in ancient literature, you didn't speak to children. You didn't speak to slaves, you didn't speak to wives, but now these people are in the church. And in this community called the church, they're now listening to the letter being read in the church. Children. And as well as, you know, women. And so this is really quite revolutionary that he addresses children like this. Because now he says to them, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And I want you to catch this. In the Lord is the key phrase. Because they all obey your parents. In fact, in those days, families were harsh places for children. I mean, Fathers had absolute and unlimited power. I mean, a father could determine, newborn baby, father could say, yep, you know, especially if it was a girl, you know, kill it, drown it. And uh, if, the, if the baby was weak or disabled, mentally or physically, children could be killed. Fathers could sell their children, especially girls, to slavery, uh, you know, for money. And they could punish them as harshly as they saw fit, uh, even putting them uh, to death, and even Jewish culture as well. And so you, you had this harsh environment for children. And so Paul now understands the family structure in his day is a mess, just like it is in our day. And so he now comes in and addresses first children, and he'll address you know, fathers. 
But, um, and he says, I want you to obey your parents in the Lord and to honor your parents. He quotes one of the Ten Commandments. And again, this is written to adults about how they now have to reach their, their, their parents. And so uh, as I begin here, remember, there, there's two common approaches that most people have towards their parents. One is, uh, and most of it's unconscious, the, the first is, you know, we, we turn our parents into gods. We want their approval so badly. And, uh, you know, it's often unconscious. And we spend our lives trying to get our, our parents to say, our father, to say, hey, you're great. You know, you did it. You made it. You know, I'm proud of you. And, uh, or often we hate our parents because they didn't live up to what we hoped. And they, that we hate them for all their failings. And uh, we're angry and spend our lives bitter. And so often you find people in, in two of those camps. And, and so today I, I really want to address what does it mean for us to, to honor our parents? What does it mean to, um, to obey them in the Lord? What does that look like? And, and so the, the word honor, very simply, it, it comes from the word heavy, or, or to give weight, or, or to esteem. It, it's, to, it's to give them a place of precedence, or take them seriously. Now, now think for a minute, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you have, you, you, you have warm affection for them. It doesn't mean that you feel happy with them all the ta- time. It doesn't mean you want to go on vacation with your parents. Some of you saying, thank God. You know? <laughs> but it does mean that you take them seriously, in a sense of, Think of an Olympic athlete wins a gold medal. You know they're on. The, they're, they're getting a. You know they're getting a medal. You know there's honor in that. You know you're taking them seriously. Or the New York Giants won the Super Bowl. You know they got a parade. You know we say hey. You know we're 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 giving them some some esteem for having done something. And the same thing. The Bible says that we're we're to honor everybody, but parents are worthy of more honor than most. A little bit more weight. They're in, they're in that category. Now I need to say this because there's a few of you in this category. There are unique cases where parents forfeit the right to that honor. Uh, I'm referring to cases of violence and significant abuse. Uh, and I actually had a couple people approach me in the first service. They really appreciate that I said it. But, uh, you know, sexually or physically or uh, where it, it's, uh, they, they, um, they do forfeit the right to this honor. But that's not the case with you know, 99% of us in this room. But it is for some. And uh, it's very easy. Paul knows it's easy for us to fall to one or the other extreme, blow off our parents completely and disrespect or, you know, treat them as like their absolute God and we live our lives to please them. And so just like teenagers, right, teenagers don't have, teenagers think our parents are out of touch. My kids think I'm out of touch. I can't imagine why, you know. <laughs> you know, and you get to be young adulthood, you're too busy for your parents. And then by middle age or beyond middle age, you're just, parents can become a burden very quickly uh, as they age. And so, again, I want to just, I want to take apart this. What does it look like here for, to, to honor, okay, and our parents? So I'm going to give you kind of two themes here, to properly honor or give weight to our earthly parents. And I need you to hang in here with me. Uh, as I know, I'm touching something very close to home for many of you. I, I had a couple of people walking out of first service, say, Pastor, I just came back from, you know, being with my mom in another state. It, I had the worst weekend, you know, of my life you know, spending a weekend there, and, and now I'm married, a pain I'm having here, and just the whole thing filters out. So the first is that, that to properly honor our earthly parents, again, dead or alive, has to do with recognizing first the sovereignty and the mystery of God. It, it, it's recognizing this sovereignty of God over all of life and the mystery of it. I mean, some of you are sitting here saying, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm just puzzled. I mean, why did God put me in that family? I mean, what was that about? Uh, you know, a few of you are thankful. Some of you are saying, I, I got a lot of positive legacies, and I am, I am really appreciative. And some of you are just purely resentful, highly resentful. 
Uh, and again, the Bible doesn't say honor your parents because they're wise uh, or they never, they never failed you. It, it, it says you honor them because God put them in a very special, unique place in your life. Now, I want you to sit and think of this. I try to imagine myself communicating to a Martian sometimes, you know, and, and trying to explain how babies come in the world. I mean, just think of this, what God did. Your, your, your existence, the miraculousness of your existence, whether your parents ever married, maybe it was a one-night stand, but a, a man and a woman, a, an egg and a sperm, you met in the womb of a woman, and you were born and gestated over a nine-month period. I mean, it was an incredible, I mean, God could, could have just zapped you into existence, but you came from these other two human beings, and after nine months, you came out of a womb as a baby. But, I mean, I mean, if you try to explain to someone from, you know, from another country, I think, what sounds this crazy world these people live in, you know? And, uh, but your parents have a place in your life as a child that nobody will ever have again. It, it, is, it, is, it is really unbelievable. I mean, even if you've never met your parents, you were adopted, or uh, you know, they didn't want you, uh, or again, it was out of wedlock, there's a magnetic pull, isn't there, to your parents. It's almost, it's emotionally charged, and it's a lifelong impact. It's amazing. You know, people on their deathbed talking about their mom and their dad, you know, in their 80s and 90s. So even if you're sitting here saying, I can't think of anything positive, on the extreme case, I can't think of anything positive on parents, there is still a place of honoring and thankfulness. And, and, and this is the reason why. Because it's because of your parents that you are alive and that you are a human being sitting here. And you are able to have an experience of the redemptive love of God. Even angels cannot experience the redemptive love of God. And it says in Peter, they long to look on these things, the wonder of human beings with whom God has a relationship through Jesus Christ who lived and died for us. And, and, and see, God created you to taste his love and to experience it. And the day will come. And so we, we taste his love now, but someday we will see him face to face. And you may be very depressed today, but you were born for an experience that one day you'll see him face to face and you'll have such a moment of ecstasy that you will thank God that you were ever born. And you will thank God for those parents who, brought, who God used to bring you into life or else you would never even have existed. Now, you may not have that moment of recognizing the sovereignty and the mystery of God. You may not fully understand why this family and this culture and this country at this time in history but there's a sovereign, mysterious purpose of God in placing you in that particular family. And I like what Joseph, and Joseph in, in Genesis 50 was able to express even after his family betrayed him, he ends up living in prison and isolated from his family for, for many, many years. And at the end of his life, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that he, he had this, this, if you're going to honor your parents, you've got to be able to step back and pause and say, okay, let me take a breath here. In the sovereignty of God, those two people were the ones through whom I came into existence on this planet, and I'm alive. And uh, so what it looks like practically, of course, to, you know, to honor and you know, to be thankful uh, varies from culture to culture. You know, it's everything from you know, forgiving them for their failures to 
you know, being patient with them and, and asking for advice and listening to respect doesn't mean you do it all, but it's the way you disagree with them. It's, it's the way that you treat them when it's inconvenient. You know, it's, this whole just law of love, I got to work it out with my parents. It's kind of like Jesus caring for his mom. He's on the cross, but he just makes sure, hey, John, you take care of my mom here, you know, and, and he's doing the will of the Father, but he's, he's very much aware of this giving weight uh, to, to Mary. So, so, so the crucial issue is just in, as you recognize the sovereignty and mystery of God, there's a, there's a place of tenderness there that I, I want to communicate as best I can that I, they are profoundly respected. Even if I don't agree with them, I'm, I, I respect them because they're in me. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Uh, some of you were born in New York. Probably most of us were born in New York. Okay, but some of you were born in other cities in the United States or other countries. But you've been living in New York for a while. Now, if you live in New York for a while, what happens is New York gets in you. Okay? And you begin to have attitude. All right? You begin to finish people's sentences. You begin to rush around. Uh, and, and, and when you go out, when you go out to other cities and other places in the United States, it's very you really see it. You're, oh my God, these people! What's with these people? They drive so slow, you know. And you beep someone at the light, you know, they're upset with you, you know. You, you realize how much New York's in you, and it takes a while, doesn't it, to get it out of you? If you go to Florida, they say half of New York's in Florida, right? But 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 it's in you. In the same way, it, it, you know, if you've been at New Life Fellowship for a while, or like in any local church family. And you go to new life, you're on summer vacation, you go to church somewhere else. You realize, wow, new life is in me. It's like, it's just in me. And life's just, it's like in me. It's like, it's weird, you know? And, uh, and so in the same way, you may not be very aware of it, but your family is in you. Okay, three to four generations of your family is in you. More deeply than New York is in you and New Life Fellowship is in you. So remember, your great-grandparents raised your grandparents. Your grandparents raised your parents, and your parents probably raised you. Now you're raising your kids. You realize all that's in you. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? And what's really heavy is when you, if you're like myself and you have children, you see it in your kids. You're like, oh, my gosh. And I say, how'd they get? And I, I say, how'd they get that? Because that's not in me, you know? And then, of course, my wife reminds me, oh, it's in you. It's in you. I thought it skipped a generation, you know? So that's one reality, and I, so I recognize the sovereignty and the mystery of God, that it, my family's in me. But the second very equally important part to this honoring is that, that to properly honor my earthly parents, I, I have to move into my heavenly father's house. And you have to unpack when you get there. Now you see, becoming a Christian is, you know, Jesus lived and died on our behalf, and he offers a free gift of salvation to us to receive him and enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's a gift. And when I do that, it's compared in the Bible to getting married. I'm married to Jesus. And so in a sense, I'm married to Jesus, and I leave my earthly family and my earthly culture. At least I leave the lies of it, the dysfunction of it, the stuff that's untrue, and I'm now, my first loyalty is now to Christ and his family. And I'm a, that's why the word born again is such a great word, because it is like being birthed into an entirely new existence, into a new family. Jesus says, you, you said, you know, who are my mother and father and brothers and sisters? He, says, he who does the will of my father in heaven. That is my mother, father, brothers, and sisters. And so you'll see these verses in the, in, in the New Testament out of the words of Jesus that are completely outrageous 
things like, do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father. You know, this is an ancient Jewish culture, and some of you can appreciate this. I mean, as an Italian-American, never hear such a thing. What are you, nuts? Breaking up a family? You know, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 14, if you love your father or mother more than me, you cannot be my disciple. And he declares that, that coming to him is you are moving out of your father's house with a small f into your heavenly father's house with a big f. And it is a break from that which is unhealthy, that which is untrue, that is, which is not of the kingdom of God, from your family and culture and moving into Jesus' family. And it's very deep. That's what it says. When he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see, this is not just, I, obey, I do whatever my parents say. You know, I do what they want me to do. No, 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 no. I obey them in the Lord because I've moved into his house now. And it informs my life, my perfectly heavenly father. And so I'm rewriting the rules of my family and my culture. Now, I, I hope you love your culture. That's, that's good. Okay, but Jesus made it very clear. If you love it too much, it's idolatry. Because you're part of a new culture now. And it's called my family. And in my family, we have new rules on how we do life. And they are things such as, in fact, the book of Ephesians is all about that. It's those shoulds, right? You have you know, certain things you know, is in your family, it's like you should do this, right? I remember the first time my, my oldest daughter was like in, in, in school, I went to a teacher's meeting, and my father had a rule that should be getting straight A's, you know? And she's not a book learner. She's more of a life learner, experiential learner. I just remember like yelling at her because it was a should, it was a rule. Your value and your academics were so tightly related that I remember just getting home and just reaming her out because it was in me, do you understand? But that doesn't belong in the family of Jesus. I'm at her, my, my wife confronted me, I had to repent of that, you know? But what is success? And Ephesians talks about what is, what is success. Now you're chosen in God. You're, you're, you're a masterpiece. You're, there's no one like you. Your work of art, your worth and value is not based on what you do. Success is being faithful to become the person God's called you to be, to know your true identity as a son and daughter of the living God. That's success. It's not based on academics or money or intellects or beauty or image. It's based on Christ. That's an that's a entirely new rule. Or how your family dealt with the way, how did your family talk? How'd they use words? And Ephesians talks about that, right? We don't, maybe your family did a lot of spin, a lot of lies, a lot of half-truths. You know, you see that? No, you don't see it. It's not happening. No, 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 no. In the family of Jesus, we live in the truth. We speak the truth in love. We're not afraid of conflict because I'm not getting my validation from other people. And so I don't run from conflict. I don't blame other people. I don't go like I'm 13 years old baby anymore. But I engage people. I speak the truth in love. I assert myself. And my anger, you don't stuff your anger. You don't smile and say everything's wonderful when you're, when you're inside exploding. But you assert yourself respectfully to communicate love and to be healthy. And, you know, how about sexuality? We spent weeks on sexuality here. What was your family's rules about sexuality and, and, and touch? And, and let me ask you, what did you get from your parents? What's in you with should? So we talked about how in the family of Jesus, it's very different. You know, sexuality, I mean, did your family teach you that your sexuality and your body parts were meant 
to point you to your deep longing for union with God? Did your parents teach you that, that love is to give, not to use people as objects? That our relationships with other people in the opposite sex are to mirror the love of God, to be free and total and faithful and fruitful? You know, how'd your family deal with feelings? What was the rules about feelings? Like, you shouldn't feel that way. And, uh, or was it, you know, my family, feelings, shut up. Just shut, get to work, you know. And, and you felt guilty. You felt guilty having certain feelings, you know. And, and, um, and I, I just, but in the family of Jesus, no, you're a human being who's loved and cherished and you're allowed to feel. You don't follow your feelings, you follow Jesus. But you're a human being and your feelings are important. And so we deal with feelings differently in the family of Jesus. So it clashes with all of our cultures and all of our families. But you see, we are called to move into our heavenly Father's house. And if we're going to honor our earthly parents in the Lord, we have to move. Sadly, as you can be a Christian for many years, and, and in a sense you're in the Father's house, but you really you're wearing all the clothing and all the baggage of your Father's house with a small f. And in your head, you're in your, your heavenly Father's house, but you're not living it at all because you've not really moved in. And so here's the, the great news is, you know, remember, Satan's the father of lies, but you're a child of the light. And so you've got to ask yourself, what are the rules I'm following right now? What changes need to be made? What needs to go be jettisoned out the window? And what are the new ones that I'm going to have in Christ? But you can change. Here's the great news of the gospel of Ephesians. You can change. And Paul's now driving this thing home and saying, the power of God is here for you to be so transformed, it actually impacts the way you relate to your parents. Some of you say, anything but that. Yes, that you can be three days with your parents and actually be different, and actually be like you know, Christ. And, but this is the deep work of discipleship. This is what it means to be a church community. We're, we're working out these new rules, this new family of Jesus in small groups and, and, and tensions, and, but we all come in with all this stuff from our families. But this is what the work of the church is all about. That's why it's, it can be difficult to be in relationships and all this old stuff's coming out. But Jesus is about changing us by the power of God and, you know, our relationships. And so, you know, here's these four critical elements of all families. And, you know, self-worth or communication or rules or, or the way we relate to those outside the families. But you learn this in your family of origin. You learn things about all those four. Just like you learned it, you can unlearn it. I want you to hear this. There is hope for you to change. Because sometimes it can feel like I'll never change. It's so in me. They wrecked me, their fault. You know, it's all their fault. No, 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 no. When you come to Jesus Christ by faith, God of the universe comes to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ is now inside of you. And there is now enormous power for transformation. That's why it's called being born again. Adoption legally into a new family. Your old debts have been paid, and you're now restored into a relationship with the living God in Christ. But the key issue here in family is my self-understanding, my self-worth. If your self-worth is so bad, you interpret everything in a distorted way. So if I see myself as I'm, I'm, a, I'm a no-good bum and, and Wanda walks out and doesn't say hello to me or doesn't say goodbye to me, she rejected me. No, she just didn't say goodbye to me. She didn't see me. But I begin to interpret everything in a twisted way. And that's why the gospel first goes after this understanding of who you are and your self-worth. And because the, your family has shaped your self-worth in a probably bigger way than anything else. And God wants to redo this. So the new, good news is you're not an orphan. If you're in Christ, you're not a foster child. You're a full 
adopted son and daughter of the living God. And God wants to give you an experience by the power, his power of, that you would know his unconditional love without any strings attached. You'd have an experience of it. And out of that experience, it gives you the courage to change. It gives you the courage to try new things. It gives you the courage to fail and break with the unhealthy stuff from your past, family, and chart the new course God has for you. But make no mistake about it. This is, this is heavy. This is hard. This is, this is a whole new way of existence. Again, you're moving into your heavenly Father's house. So let's close with this. And, and this is that great parable of a prodigal son in a Rembrandt painting, which I use often. And uh, you may be here uh, today, and you may not know the perfect love of your heavenly Father for you. That there is, there is a heavenly Father who loves you perfectly. Okay, no human earthly father or mother can love you perfectly. And this is this painting in the 1600s of that parable from Luke 15 of the prodigal son. There's the father, there's the son who'd run away and he, he, he wandered from the love of the father and got lost. And there's the elder brother. And some of us, we don't live as if we're living in our father's house. And we find ourselves lost. And I just want you to focus on the elder brother because to honor our parents begins with having an experience and living out of this experience of this love of the Father for me that has no strings attached. You know the story. The son runs away, squanders his wealth, and tries to come back. He's just willing to be a slave. Just, you know, I'll be a hired worker. And the father doesn't just forgive the son. It's very important about what is Christianity. It's not just forgiveness of your sins. It's more profound. It is the father welcomes him back and restores him to an intimate relationship. So it's forgiveness and a restoration of the relationship. And he puts in new sandals on him and a, and a robe. And he puts a ring on his finger and he, and, and he embraces him. And you see, you can only truly honor your earthly father and mother if you get this relationship straight where you have an experience of his power, where you know his love, which surpasses knowledge. And so what I want to invite you to do now is we kind of come to a closing. I want to pause for a couple of moments, and I want to invite you to, to kneel, uh, not literally kneel, but kneel like this younger son is, and to the father. And you'll see the elder brother is watching the love of God, but he's not experiencing it. Some of you are listening to this sermon, and you read the Bible, but you do it like a computer technician. You're doing analysis. I want to invite you to put aside the analysis and be like a sponge who's having an experience and to have an experience of the perfect love of the Heavenly Father for you who came in the person of Jesus, who lived a perfect life for you, who died on your behalf and rose, and he offers you free forgiveness. And not just free forgiveness, he offers you adoption as his son or as his daughter, and he invites you to come move into his house. And not as a hired hand, you're not a foster kid, you're fully in all grace, it's all mercy, and to allow him to put his hands on your back, you know, on, on your shoulders, and pull you to his chest. And um, I'd like to invite you to move from being over here watching about it intellectually and kneeling and, and having an experience of it. So, because you see, if you get this experience, you really will have the courage to honor your parents in the Lord properly. And you'll have the grace uh, to do take those risks.
So I'm going to invite, just, maybe just bow your heads for a moment. And, and uh, so take, you got to look at the picture there. You got to take your look and then bow your heads. And um, I want you first to just, as you're imagining yourself, and maybe you're here this morning and a friend brought you and you've been, um, or maybe you yourself been just running from God and you've made a mess of things. But you're here today. And you want to see and feel the Father's outstretched arms for you as he invites you home to his love for you. And if you've been very busy, anxious, running around like crazy, Father inviting you to slow down, be still before him, lay your head against his chest, Receive his embrace. Receive his love for you. And just thank God for a moment for his sovereignty and the mystery of having borne you into a particular family at a moment in history. Just thank God for your parents, even if you never met them. Because God was there at that moment of your conception and your birth into this world. Receive the embrace of the Father's love for you that even all the sad events and tragedies and positives and negatives, the scars you carry, so broke you to bring you to this moment to receive his love for you. It's a miracle that you're here. So I want you to invite you just to say yes to your heavenly father who invites you to move into his Imagine yourself looking into the face of your Father in heaven. What words he might speak to you. By the Holy Spirit, may you know how high and deep and wide and long is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well done. Now we're going to have the Lord's Supper together, and or communion as it's called. Communion has many meanings to it.
But today I want you to focus on the Lord's Supper is bread and wine, and it is taking the life of God inside of you. Think of everything inside of you. New York's inside of you. Your family's inside of you. Communion is meant to eat and drink of Christ. This is my body given for you. Take and eat. It's a gift. This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. You don't deserve to come to the table. It's all grace. We come in the name of Jesus, not in your own name. We come in the basis of Christ's performance, not, not your performance. This is a gift to come to this table, and you're going to digest of Christ. Say, Lord, deeply transform me for the generations that will follow me. Again, my life will be a gift to others. So, again, you're welcome to the table. Uh, receive Christ if you haven't first. Let's all stand together. And so we're going to form lines, and we're going to worship and sing together. And there's four or five tables down here on the bottom, and there's three or four up there on the top. And uh, you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the cup, and you'll partake when you're ready, either right there at the table or back at your seat. But it's, this is meant to be an experience of the love of the Father for you and the eating and drinking of the very person of God. Okay? So, Father, guide us, I pray. Melt our hearts, Lord. May we move into your house and enjoy your presence and the relationship that's now available through Jesus Christ. We give you praise and thanks in his name. Amen. Let's begin. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed. Renew. Flowing from the grace that I found in you. Lord, I come to know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away. of your love Hold me close Let your love surround me Bring me near Draw me to your side with you your spirit leads me on by the power of your love Lord unveil my eyes let me see you face to face the knowledge of your love as you live your will unfolds 
in my life and living every
also with you. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. And I will soar with you. Your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. All right, as we close here, uh, there's going to be uh, an altar ministry time over here to your left. And I really would like to invite uh, those of you who need prayer for anything to come. But do you realize that the whole, your whole life, the whole meaning of your existence, every, any father experience you've had was only a pointer for this, you were created for this relationship with God, this love relationship with the with the living God in union and communion with your heavenly Father through Christ, that free, no-strings-attached love of the Father for you. That, that is, that's the great longing of every one of our hearts. So you may be here today, and you've wandered from that place, and you've gotten caught up and entangled in all kinds of things. So as we close here, I want to invite you not to rush out. All right? No rush. Your friend will wait for you, or spouse, or... And just come for prayer and, and get rid of some of that baggage you're carrying. And the wonderful thing about it, and the great parable of the prodigal son, the father runs to the son. You'd, wreck, you'd run away from the father. He, the father, once he, once he turns around, repentance, once he turns a little bit, the father races toward him. So don't believe a lie from hell that he will not run to you and embrace you. It was, the love for you was won at a great price, the blood of Jesus. Very precious. But the shame and the condemnation, uh, don't let it keep you from God right now. I, I want to invite you, I want to plead with you to come forward. Let God restore you, clean you, set you strong and high, and get you right in the place you are meant to be at. Please don't walk out of here in shame. Because I'm going to pray, we're going to be dismissed. I'm going to bless everybody. Please come for prayer. Uh, whatever you're carrying from your family, your past right now, and let God embrace you and set you free, okay? All right, let's pray. Just bow with me for a moment. Just receive a blessing from God. Let me just open your hands up towards heaven and just open to receive. And so, Lord, you know the negative voices that are in our heads of self-hate and things people have said about us or to us over the years that ring so heavy. And I pray, Lord, that right now your voice would overshadow all those voices your voice of love and tenderness and mercy, and your longing for each person here to come home to you and your embrace, to rest their head against your chest, to allow you to move them to yourself. So, Lord, may your face shine upon them. May you grant them peace where there's only turmoil. And may, Lord, you do powerful resurrections now in this room. And may people know your power, the power of you, the living God, to experience your love. So I bless you as you go, in Christ's name. Amen. God bless everybody. Thank you very much. The altar is open. Please come. Have a good day. Let's keep it quiet in here as we worship.